Welcome back to The Short Game, a video game podcast that's definitely about video games. Today, we're not talking about video games. I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Nate Heininger and Lauren Ash. And the topic for today's episode is board games. Yes, the most, the most video games of all video games. Really, there's not any way to argue that uh, board games are video games, but we can at least argue that they are short because mostly you finish them in an evening. So, you know what? This is our podcast, and we can talk about whatever we like, especially when Reagan is not here. Hi, Reagan. <laughs> yes. Um, we've, we've done this a couple times before. I think most recently uh, it was episode 92. Um, I think so. I, it's, it's, we've done it a couple times on board games, and Nate and I did one on port. Um, yeah. 92 was the last time I mentioned Slash, which I wanted to talk about again this week. Because I keep, I think I play it once every two years, and we record a podcast about board games once every two years. I forget that time moves on <laughs> eternally. Yeah. Um, well, we're uh, we're making our voices immortal by doing this podcast, which is really why anyone of does course. a podcast, in my opinion. Um, and uh, <laughs> I think we did this. Uh, we did two board game episodes really, really early on in the show, and mm-hmm. it's definitely something that is near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, and I think more relatively fits into the scope of our show. You know, most game, most board games will yeah. only take a few hours and they're really, especially now it's a great time for board games. Um, they're really, really interesting experiences. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a really incredible time with board games right now. If I can just share right down the street for me, you guys have met him on the show. We've got Sandy, who is the kind of managing partner with Coral Sword. So I have this terrific board game focused cafe, like not five minutes from my house. I was just down there tonight. And when you're hanging around a board game spot, you get to do cool stuff like uh, meet people who are play testing board games and see those new board games in action. So uh, just tonight I was hanging around at Coral Sword and I met a guy named Mike uh, Mike Rhodes and another guy named uh, Rafa Morales. And they're play testing a game called Ketzel, which is like a, well, I didn't really get that into it, but it was a a game that looked like a combination of uh, a worker placement game with like a tile laying um, exploration game. There was a lot going on and it was, uh, it's really neat to see people like trying new things and experimenting. This thing seemed, seemed like it's pretty far along in its development process. So maybe we'll be keeping an eye out for it on Kickstarter or something. Yeah, so it's it's really great, I think, to get together and, and chat about this topic that I know we all really like, but because, of course, we have decided that we are a podcast about video games, you know, maybe once every hundred episodes or so, we, we get to dip our little toes in here. So Exactly. Last done in 2017, episode 128. So we weren't too far off. It has still been a really long time. Yeah. And who knows, maybe some of these board games will become video games. Or are already, Maybe. and we didn't do the research. Who knows? We can only what, if, what if mine is, kind ah, of, support? We did do the research. <laughs> well, uh, with um, with the structure of this, I, since it's different from our normal episodes, I guess we're just going to kind of go around, and uh, we've each brought a couple of favorite board games uh, that we want to kind of share with you, tell you a little bit about what makes them special and what makes them cool. Um, we'll start off today with Laura. Laura, tell me a little bit about the games that you'd like to talk about. Yeah, so last weekend I was in Columbus at Origins. I mentioned this on the previous podcast, uh, which is their 
a big game festival. It's kind of like the Columbus version of Gen Con. And I played a ton of games, some of which haven't been released yet, uh, some of which have been around for a while but were new to me. And one thing I was uh, really excited about, it was a game called um, Areal, which is Portuguese, and I said it with a Spanish accent, so I'm going to spell it, A-R-R-A-I-A-L. And it is a game uh, named after, apparently, this Portuguese summer celebration where people just drink and eat and have parties in the streets. Um, and the game is about having the best block party. The game is also competitive Tetris. The idea being that you've got these little um, polyominoes, little Tetris blocks, and you put them in the center of the game board and you rotate for each person. Um, and then you can choose to place one or two tiles. And when you finish a row, um, you get a little... Um, meeple to come to your party. When you have the largest block of red, you get a bunch of like red little meeple to come on your block. So you're just trying to attract people to your party. The pieces are all colorful and covered in people drinking and swimming and um, having a good time eating hot dogs. So what kind of art is on these is on these pieces? Are you talking about people eating hot dogs? It is as if um, it's a Tetris cube but they've layered on top of it an illustration of someone at a block party. So like a really long line might be a bunch of people sitting at a table eating. Um, a L shape might be a dude with a drum kit. Like they're really silly, colorful. Um, like you can see that people are having a good time. Look super hipster, a lot of barefoot, a lot of Mohawks, um, just the most colorful, um, it's not bunting, but those little uh, like lights that look kind of like fruits. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, trust me, the art is super fun. And it's a lot That's of the appeal of this game. And it's literally Tetromino style pieces. Exactly. So you're literally like slotting little people in from this board, um, having a party where people are kind of sideways dancing because they're trying to look like mm -hmm. an S shape. <laughs> Or awesome. uh, a dude might be like real excited about his uh, tambourine. And so he's kind of in a square shape because he's bent down, kind of crouching. Very entertaining to try to put all these people together. Um, and towards the end, you start running out of space at your block party. Um, and that is the problem with competitive Tetris. So we played a couple rounds. We didn't quite finish the game um, because we were demoing it at Origins. But uh, we could tell that um, it seems like a game, the first time you play, you're not that great at it. But as you keep playing, I think there's going to be a ton of strategy. Um, definitely the kind of thing where you can rotate or place things to really mess up your neighbor. Um, imagine playing Tetris where you got to choose what piece the next person got. That's awesome. Oh. So it's a party planning Tetris game. Um, I think we'll probably be picking up a copy uh, after we have a much smaller apartment or board games that are scarce. <laughs> yeah, I'll give a quick shout out to a couple of the things at Origins just real quick that aren't out yet. I mentioned Letter Jam last week and what's been making me happy. And if you've got kids, um, Echidna Shuffle, which is about echidnas, which are, I guess, related to platypi, uh, moving around and picking up bugs, it's adorable. So just uh, if you're looking for a kid-friendly game, I would pick that one up as well. Uh, some of my favorite games, you know, for like groups of people sort of fit in that kid sort of range, like Sushi Go 
And um, what's the firework one that we were just talking about recently? Hanabi. Hanabi. Mm-hmm. That one's maybe a little bit oh, yeah. above great. kids, but it's still uh, a great game. So I really like those sort of quick, simple games. Oh, yeah. I played Hanabi with uh, my husband last weekend, but he'd had a couple drinks, and he looked at the cards literally four times. <laughs> he kept picking up cards and looking at them and being like, damn, and putting them back. That's the tough part of that game. You're not allowed to play to drink and play Hanabi anymore. I think that you can either be no drinking or everyone is drinking. It can't be like oh, one yeah. drunk guy playing Hanabi. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all would have. Yeah, we should have had a couple more shots. How about Nate? What have you been playing? Yeah, so I've got a game here. I've got the box. That's why I was kind of uh, slow there responding. I've got a. I've been deconstructing the box in front of me to have the art. I don't know why I, this is an audio format, but it just felt right to have it in my hands as I was talking about it. Um, this is a game called Clank, and I've been really, really enjoying it. This is a deck-building, dungeon-crawling game, which combines two of my favorite mechanics, deck-building and dungeon-crawling. So if you're not familiar with deck-building uh, in board games, it is a, a style of game that I think was popularized or really invented by a game called Dominion back in like 2012, and since then it has been one of the most popular mechanics. It's definitely made its way into video games as well. Um, But basically you have a deck of cards at the start of your turn, you draw like five cards. Those are what you can play on your turn. When you're out of, when your turn is done, you discard all your cards and you draw another five. If you cannot draw anymore because your deck is out, you put all your discarded cards together, shuffle them up, thereby adding any new cards that you've earned that round. Um, Everything you already used or didn't use all gets shuffled up and put back in and you draw from that pile again. So deck building is, the mechanic is really fun and interesting because you're constantly sort of trying to craft a good deck, a deck that will win you the game. And in this game, the way you win is by getting into this dungeon, getting all the way down to the bottom, grabbing the best and most amount of treasure and getting out before the dragon catches you and kills you. Uh, and the really fun part about that. So basic, me- basic mechanics work is that like, so you're going to draw your five cards and you're gonna have a lot of really basic ones, like move one, move two, attack defense, some magic things like being able to move extra spaces and whatnot. And then there are going to be cards that are in your hand that are called clank cards and you have to play them. And it's every time you play one, it's your character is making a noise and that's going to alert the dragon. The dragon's going to be a little bit more aware of your presence. And there are a lot of cards that will either let you remove, uh, or every time you make a noise, you take a, a block of your color and put it into this bag. So every time you make a noise, you're putting a block in a bag. There are a lot of cards that you can get that either allow you to take blocks of your color out of the bag or put, make other members of the party put blocks into the bag. You make them make noise. And randomly, based off the cards that are drawn, the dragon will be awoken. And depending on how late in the game is, that dragon will make a certain amount of attacks. And the way this attack works is you reach into the bag, you pull out a color. Whatever color it was, that's the player that gets attacked. And you lose a heart. (laughs) And you have a certain amount of hearts. There's like items. And there's all the things that you would really hope there to be. Very simple. So nothing like crazy. But there are, you know, boots that you can get. And there's health potions and things that you can get to make your guy, um, your adventurer more powerful and whatnot. 
But basically, you're trying to be really, really sneaky or not. Maybe you're trying to be really, really fast. It's up to you to get down the treasure. There's like tiers of treasure. There are some that are really close to the exit, which but they're worth the least amount. So you could try to just like in the game real quick, get in, get out. Or you could try to go for the furthest one away, which is worth like if you do that, you're probably going to win the game no matter what. So it's this balance of how far into the dungeon do you go? How much do you expend, you know, noise, clank, or to to go furthest away? Or do you try to play it safe and play it quiet and sneaky and get something close and get out of the game? Uh, it's really, really fun. There's enough, um, like the deck building mechanic makes it where you're mostly, you are deciding what you're doing most of the time. You know, it's still random because it's deck building, but you still feel like a sense of ownership. Like I made this deck. Um, and then it's competitive enough where you can, you know, make the dragon more likely to eat someone else. And then it's also random enough that doesn't feel like unfair. Like, you know, what's happening. I have three blocks in there. They have eight. like, it sucks if one of mine gets pulled, but like, it's, that's how the game works. You know, it's not like, like it just, it just happens and it's random and all you can do is do your best to try to not have as many blocks. So it's really fun. One of the first times I played, my guy died like deep in the dungeon. Uh, there's a pretty good mechanic for like, you can still place if you die, as long as you die above ground and not like deep in the cavern. Um, but really, if you die, you're probably not going to win. But I really, really recommend it. One thing that's nice about it, if you've played deck building games before, one of the things that can be that you can struggle with is there's a lot of head math in deck building games, you know, mm-hmm. you like play three cards. You're like, all right, I've got three gold, two buys, and an action. Okay, I'm gonna use my action to do this. Okay, that got me another gold and two buys. And you have to like kind of balance all this stuff in your head and do all that, uh, you know, in motion. One thing that I really like is having this like physical representation of what I'm doing. Okay, I have two moves. I'm gonna use them. One. Two, I've moved my character two spots. You know, I have three gold now. I'm going to buy this card for three gold. Uh, it just, it's a lot more physical and uh, who doesn't love a good dungeon crawler, right? So definitely recommend it, especially if you're into dungeon crawling or um, if you're into deck building games, it's an interesting take on it. Check it out. Yeah, this one looks like it's a lot of fun to me. I, I'm a great lover of deck building games and dungeon crawling games and that informed uh, a pick that I've made for an upcoming video game on this show. So you can probably guess uh, if you know what games are out there. But looking forward to that. I think fantasy theming, like, you know, dungeon crawling and stuff like that is a pretty uh, great theme. But one of the things that really sets the game that I want to talk about apart is uh, it's really beautiful, more placid pastoral theming. And I don't mean in 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 like uh, you know farming. I mean this is a uh, a game that's just about beautiful birds. Yes, I want to talk about a new game called Wingspan. Wingspan is a um, new game that came out just this past year, and I've only gotten to play it because a friend of mine managed to snag a copy. This is a game that's very hard to get uh, your hands on. Still, it's going into. Maybe it's third printing, and it's been very heavily sold out. Uh, it's created by the des- a designer named Elizabeth Hargrave. And uh, have either of you guys played any games that were like um, engine building games? Things where 
I don't know, maybe um, my touchstone for that would be terraforming Mars or maybe glory to Rome. Yes, I do believe I have, though I'm having a hard time um, thinking of one specifically. But I know what you're referring to as far as the mechanics yeah. go. Yeah, I've done one set in space, yeah. So it's that kind of building momentum in a way. Yeah, build build something to make it easier to build things, to make it easier to build things, to eventually top out on points. And uh, Exactly. Wingspan is that, but it is the... One of the cleanest and simplest approaches to it, one of the reasons I think it's a good thing for us to talk about, because we are the short game, is that this is the only game of that type that I've played where I could easily and uh, I could pretty reliably set up, play, and finish the game in 45 minutes. Uh, It's a really quick and very, very well-designed game. Uh, And the highlight of the design, there's a lot of great things to the design, but the highlight to the physical design of the game, and apart from being just very easy to set up, is a beautiful deck of like 170 different individual birds. Mm. Basically, all the great birds of North America are represented on this deck of cards. And uh, a pair, or a, sorry, a team of artists, Ana Maria Martinez, um, Natalia Rojas, and Beth Sobel, so this game entirely created by women. Yeah. Created this deck of cards that have um, every card is a different bird with a beautiful painting of the bird um, and different facts about the bird that are turned into kind of mechanical elements of the game. So uh, you'll you'll have uh, an idea of how many eggs that the bird lays in a clutch because uh, eggs are, are used as points. Uh, you'll have... Uh, the actual wingspan uh, in uh, in you know the actual wingspan of that bird, which is mechanically relevant in the game. Um, you'll have some um, kind of elements of the bird's behavior that play up in some of the powers of the bird uh, on the card, where you might have something that is, let's say you have a, a bird that eats the eggs of other birds. Well, you'd have that bird go out and eat eggs from somewhere else on the board. So... Also, the diets of the birds are are represented. There's uh, and also the habitats that the birds live in. So all of these things have some kind of mechanical relevance in the game. Which uh, that aspect of the game alone is just mind blowingly pretty and nice and just a really fine piece of design. The cards are beautiful, functional. Uh, every one of them has a uh, a bit of flavor text describing some element of the bird and and you know telling you some interesting fact about it. Uh, so, uh, the design of, and the other beautiful design element to this game is this, uh, wonderful birdhouse, um, dice rolling, uh, tower that, you know, is, is part of the game. You fold together this beautiful cardboard birdhouse that you drop these dice into the actual gameplay of the game is, uh, beautiful in its simplicity. Um, you are playing cards onto your player board. You're basically collecting birds on your bird book. Uh, you have a uh, kind of a record, a, a birding book in which you're keeping track of birds in these three different, um, these three different uh, habitats. And uh, every bird that you get and the powers of that bird uh, are there to kind of Im- improve and enhance that habitat. And so the gameplay is very simple. You're just picking one of the habitats, which corresponds to an action. And then there you go. Um, I won't get too deep into the mechanics of the game. Uh, but I will tell you a little bit about 
who I think this game would be great for. This is a great a great game for. Um, uh, it's a very approachable game, uh, especially for an engine build. It's the only approachable engine building game I know of. Um, so it's it's great for just about anybody in, in that sense. Um, it's also you know a beautifully designed game. So it's a it's a game that everybody I think is going to look at and want to try. Uh, it's not a game that has a high degree of player interaction, which. Uh, so if you are at a table where people are you know, really want to play in a cutthroat way, this is not the game for you because it's all about just growing beautiful things. Uh, but if you want to play a game that lets everyone see who is you know just the best at dealing with putting together uh, a, a beautiful machine made of birds, uh, then this is the game I think that is going to really work for you. Uh, I really can't wait to play it again. I've played it just a few times. I keep borrowing it from my friend or inviting him over just to play this. Uh, so uh, the only thing I can say is that right now, if you really want to get your hands on it, uh, don't go on eBay and pay like the crazy prices that people are charging for this game. Um, just wait. It's about to go into its third printing in uh, July, hitting uh, your game stores probably in August. So Keep an eye out for it then. Yeah, you've talked about this for a while, and I've definitely very much almost made that crazy purchase on eBay or Amazon. So I will, I guess, wait for the next printing. I mean, I just want it almost as an art piece. Uh, I played a song, a game called Songbirds, which just had you know lovely birds on it at Origins, but this sounds like that dialed up to fifteen thousand. Um, I, I can't wait to spend some time with these beautiful birds. It's like an Audubon made oh, yeah. into a board game. It really is. I mean, it, it, they've done a, a beautiful job of, of presenting this game, like everything from the sort of linen texture on all of the printed materials to, um, you know, just the really uh, huge amount of care that they put into the packaging. Like there's a uh, little plastic box that's got a, you know, embossed bird on it that, you store the cards in and that has a spot to display the tableau of cards that you play from. Uh, they included little plastic clamshell boxes to store the beautiful little plastic egg miniatures and the little food tokens that are part of the game. So um, in terms of presentation, and by the way, this is from Stonemeyer games who are famous for doing really great presentations for their games, but this is just on another level. That's awesome. Yeah, sounds great. So speaking of games with beautiful art, uh, this one's been around for a while, but I want to recommend Mysterium uh, because it is one of the most frustrated experiences of my life that I've also loved dearly. So Mysterium uh, is a game where uh, one person in your group is a ghost and they are psychically communicating through a giant deck of dream cards what a murderer, you know, who the murderer is, uh, what the weapon they used are, um, and uh, the crime scene where it took place. Yeah. And you have this just endless deck of dreams, and the cards are crazy, ridiculous art. There's one that's like a guy going into a fish. There's like weird creepy portraits, there are, um, you know, it's dreams. It is all the crazy dream 
logic collage stuff, and you're supposed to be trying to communicate to the other players who done it without talking. Yeah, that's uh, so awesome. I've had this game in my hands like six different times to play, and it's never worked out. And every time I've been very disappointed. So I'm uh, glad to hear that you've enjoyed it. Yeah, so we uh, I played it with a group of friends in person, and I've played the solo game on the iPhone, iPad. Um, I will say that uh, when I played it in person, we got the fancy, like, I think Ukrainian-designed cards. They translated it at some point. Um, and they redid the manual and for the, they apparently redid the art, but the original stuff is really surreal and, um, extraordinarily detailed, just breathtaking. I think it has basically what you do is you are trying to communicate who done it without talking and you pick these dream cards and you send them to the group and then they go, Oh, I thought that this yellow ship must mean that it's water and therefore it's poison. And you're like, no, it's drowning, you idiots. It's a ship. How could it possibly be poison? And you just are going crazy uh, trying to communicate, you know, maybe it's a clock and you're trying to communicate time. And somehow um, you're like, oh, the clock is yellow. I'll put a yellow thing down. But yellow can also mean uh, that the person was jaundiced. Like it is the most infuriating. But when you actually get it right, you feel like, your friend is actually psychic. And then you hear your second friend tell them they're crazy and there's no way that's what you intended. Um, it's also one of the, I mentioned playing Doc, Kill Dr. Lucky with a uh, Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery soundtrack. This one, someone put like eerie sounds of a haunted house um, and it really did the trick. That's we were awesome. all getting mad at each other, but in the funniest way because also all it takes is one friend not taking this seriously for this game to really just go up another level because they'll say things they think are ridiculous and everyone takes them seriously <laughs> just like one troll makes this game just go to another level i'm not telling you to troll your friends but i'm not not telling you to troll your friends because it really takes this to a different plane of existence with a game like that, at what point does trolling your friends just become playing the game as it's intended to? I think it does end up playing the game as you intended to, because all you're doing is watching your friends jump to conclusions. That is the game. Um, anyone who's played Cards Against Humanity, Apples to Apples with their friends, knows that you think you know your friends sense of humor, how they deduce things very well, that your friends are weirdos. And this yeah. game... We'll reveal your weirdo friends. And all the meantime, you're staring at the most beautiful, surreal art on the table. And you're just trying to drill, you know, just bore holes into the one part of the photo you thought was interesting. Yeah. And of course, they're like, oh, yeah, did we get it right? <laughs> it's, it's just a disaster. And it's incredibly fun. You know your friends. You know if your friends are going to hate that experience. But if you're in a, you know, you got a real ride or die crew who, especially if one of them is crazy into ghosts and auras, Mysterium is for you. That's awesome. It sounds like charades meets uh, like apples to apples, like you said, uh, meets surrealistic art, which is fantastic. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I think it's, it's best when you get a deck of cards and you honestly have no idea what to do with them because some games are cooperative because everybody is trying to 
solve based on a set of knowledge they're gaining together. This is a game where everyone is trying to solve a problem and nobody has any clue what is going on. <laughs> There's no being smarter than the other person. You're literally just trying to be a psychic mind reader and it goes just about as well as you'd expect. So highly recommend Mysterium. I like how you, the, there are certain games, like I've played another game, like I would say that's kind of similar that tries to build on people's kind of natural mysterious ability to pick up on really obscure social cues and context clues, you know, in, in the way that an actual medium does. And uh, the, the other game I've played that's like that is called The Mind, which uh, is a very yes. simple game. You've played that one? I haven't, but I heard so many people talking about it at Origins. I can't wait to hear about it. It's really very simple. It's just a deck of cards numbered 1 to 100. Uh, there's a couple of little mechanics on top of that, but the goal is just your, you know, the players are each dealt an increasing number of cards in each uh, round, and the the goal is to lay them down in order. Now, of course, you know, if I have eight cards and you have eight cards, out of 100, we don't know which cards are left in the deck. Um, so how do you play your cards in order sequentially, uh, putting them down? And of course, there and it's not just that you go around in a circle and deal out a card. Anyone can put down a card at any time. So uh, you just have to watch your fellow players and make deductions about what might be in the deck left and how many cards you've seen and how fast people are dropping these cards and try to avoid playing anything out of turn. And if you if you do, everyone either loses together or wins together. It's a really interesting game. And I, I found that the, the actual process of playing it built this sort of weird communicative skill between, between the players of like, okay, well, how fast is he dropping the cards? matters to me how 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 eager does he seem to play the first card versus the second card and you're turning these kinds of clues uh into uh kind of effective gameplay was really interesting and really different that is really fascinating because it's not as if you are again you're not operating on any knowledge like kanabi it's not like you can see the cards or count cards you're just trying to guess what's in front of you it's really cool yeah yeah, that game, both those games sound really fun, and I love a good group game. Uh, the game that I am going to talk about is a game that I'm really, really excited about. I've only been able to play it a couple times, uh, but I've been really, really enjoying it so far. It's called Near and Far. Uh, it is a sequel of sorts to another one of my favorite games called Above and Below. It is made by a guy named Ryan Lockett. Lockett. He is a board game developer that does everything. He does the art. He does the rules. He does basically everything, um, which is pretty awesome. His games have a really interesting, heavy story element to them. I always thought that was neat. Yes. So that is why. So there's a lot of reasons why I really, really enjoy these games. But the storybook, which I have in my hands here, and I'm going to read from in just a moment, is what makes this game, his games, really set themselves apart in my opinion from the other games. So essentially this is a party building and like quest going worker placement game. So you are in charge of a set of people 
and you you have a couple actions. You can either go into town to ke- collect supplies, um, more health, more uh, tools, more people, things to carry more stuff with. And then, so that's one action. You can either do that or you can go out questing and depending on, or go out like traveling and depending on how much your, uh, how much, I, how many items you've gathered in town uh, and from previous uh, journeys will determine basically like how long you can be out in the wild. It's dangerous to be out in the wild. So you can only stay out there for a certain amount of time, depending on essentially how strong your party is. And there's a whole map. And what's really, really cool is that the book in the game or in the box is a, a there's 12 different maps that you can play. And it's a book that you set down and open. It's a, it's a spiral binding. Oh, cool. So it can open, com- it can open completely flat. And you can open up the book and lay down the map. And there's actually a campaign in this game that if you have a couple dedicated friends, or at least just like one dedicated friend, you can play through map one, two, three, four, five, you know, all the way up to 12. And it has a whole story that uh, you actually like each map is its own game, but you will carry over elements. It pr- the game provides these like sheets that are basically little character sheets with a little pencil that you mark down what you got from the last round and you can move forward or you can just do single one map, like one shot, little games, little adventures. But the real core of the game, there's a lot of fun little actions you can do, but really what everyone is kind of building up to is going adventuring and getting into these little, um, little encounters. So what you do is you go out and you land on these spaces that signal an encounter. You then roll, um, you take a card which will tell you what number to read. And then the person to the right of you will read from the book, the number that you pulled. So give you an example. Uh, Let's see. You find a rough trickling fountain of water in the jungle. Just as you are about to take a drink, you find a baby in a pile of adult sized clothes, taking sips, (laughs) taking sips at the fountain. Nearby, you also notice a skeleton with a long white beard sitting at the base of a banana tree. So from there, you have, you'll have a set of options. So do you attempt to reverse the transformation or take the child to the town and find it a new family? And you can both make that decision and each will come with a die roll that you have to make. Uh, and if you make the roll, then you do the thing successfully. And if you fail the roll, then you don't do the thing successfully, which may or may not have repercussions. Uh, and then what happens to the baby, Nate? What happens to the baby? Well, Laura, what would you like to do? Would you like to attempt to reverse the transformation? Uh, or would you take like to take the child to town and find it a new family? Um, assuming I cannot test the baby's uh, cognitive ability to find out if it is an adult man trapped inside the baby brain... Assuming I can't test the baby, I, I will try to reverse the transformation. All right. Um, so let's say you succeed at it. So okay. uh, you feed a bit of the banana to the baby, and within minutes, he's grown into a toddler. You feed him more and more until he's reached middle age. The man, I'm a feeder. <laughs> the man thanks you, filling a bottle with the water and heading on his way. You take a few sips from the fountain before leaving and mark the place on your map. 
you gain uh, one reputation, blue faction, and a coin. And presumably you look like you're 10 years younger. You stud you. Yeah, <laughs> I would assume so. Um, so that's so that's how the game goes. You have these series of little, uh, you know, little moments where you have to make a decision. Uh, sometimes the decision will be like funny, kind of like that. Sometimes it will be like I don't know if you heard me say, but you gain a reputation from that. Like you did something good, so you get plus one reputation, and the game, you know, you benefit by having a higher reputation. However, there are going to be times where the easiest and obviously the most profitable thing is not going to be the mm-hmm. like the right thing to do. And so you have to balance like, like oh, I, I know that it'll be like, you know, you see a man passed out and there's a bag of money on his chest. You know, what, what do you do? Do you try to wake him up or do you take the money? And it's like, well, I could use money right now for this game and that would be very easy. It's not going to be hard to pass the, pass the skill check. I'll take the money, but I'm going to feel like an asshole. And I know I'm going to lose the yeah. reputation, right? So it, it, they're not like intense moral decisions. It's nothing like you're going to like wake up in the middle of the night like, oh, God, I shouldn't have taken the money. But it, It's not Sophie's choice. Yeah, right? But it is enough. Like if you're really like trying to, you know, like re- if you get really into the game, it is enough to make you think like, well, I don't want to do that to these poor lizard people, you know. Um, so it's a really, really fun game. I definitely recommend it. It's a little... It's a little mechanic heavy at first. It takes a while to sort of explain everything. Once you get going, it's pretty simple, really. You know, it's one of those games where each turn you can only do a pretty small number of things, but over the broad amount of the game, you'll end up having done a lot. But um, Mm -hmm. all of his games are pretty technical and the rule book is pretty thick. However, don't let that daunt you because it actually in playing is relatively straightforward. There's just like a lot of tokens. It's a little finicky. There's a lot of pieces, um, but it's beautiful. It's fun. It's interesting and it's funny. So I definitely recommend checking it out. Any of his games, but this one is the one that I've been playing lately. Awesome. The last game that I want to talk about um, may be something that if you're a fan of board games, you've heard of, because it's one of, the very most popular board games of the last uh, decade or so. It came out actually in 2001. Uh, this is a game called Hive, which is a, a game about building an insect empire. Uh, this is a game that I really have very few things like this in my board game collection. It is a little bit abstract and uh, radically simple in terms of how it's presented and how it works. It is a game where each player starts out with a collection of 11 bugs, 11 insects, one queen bee, a couple of spiders, a couple of beetles, some grasshoppers, and some soldier ants. And just like in chess, the purpose is to take out your opponent's regent, in this case, the queen bee. Um, The game doesn't have a board. It's just a collection of these 22 tiles. Hexagons, right? Yeah, little hexagonal tiles. And because of that, you can play this pretty much anywhere. It's famously playable on the beach if you want. And uh, the game starts off, just choose a bug and put it on the table. And then your opponent will choose a bug and put it down next to to theirs. Um, There are very specific rules about how you can place bugs. So for example... 
once you've placed the first couple of bugs, you can only put down new bugs touching your own color, your own pieces, and not touching any of the enemy pieces. So you're, as you lay down these these tiles, you're, you're establishing some space. Uh, but the board is made up of just all of the interconnected pieces, referred to in the rules as the hive. And uh, you can you can start to move the bugs, but you can't ever move them in such a way that the hive or the board uh, becomes disconnected into two pieces. So you can't ever break the hive. You can't have more than one. Um, so uh, the, the goal of the game is to just, very much like in chess, to checkmate your opponent. Uh, but in this case, it's done by surrounding your enemy's queen bee uh, completely, either with your own pieces or a mix of your own pieces and theirs. This is a game I play um, about as often as almost any of my other games. It's a terrific two-player game. There's a there's a lack, I've, I think, in the board gaming community of really great, really fast two-player games because that kind of that kind of gameplay has been uh, monopolized by things like chess and checkers. This is a game I think, mm-hmm. in some ways, almost rivals chess. I like this more than chess. Uh, it's a game that I think belongs in everyone's board game collection, really. Uh, If you like board games, you should get yourself a copy of this one. I don't know. Have have you guys played it? It sounded like you might have played it, Laura. Um, I have seen people play it. I've never played it personally. I think it it was one of those games that um, usually was pulled out at bars because of that play anywhere um, uh, mindset, because you could just kind of stack stuff down um, and move it around. I think people really liked it partly because of portability uh, and also because it was a bit more strategy than a lot of games that were that small. Um, it required, it, it could kind of scale up depending on if you wanted a fast casual game or if you wanted something more like chess, if you really wanted to really think about it, you could do that. And there's not a lot of games that kind of scale up or down like that. So, Yeah, that's definitely true. It's very strategic, uh, but it's also because all you're ever doing is either choosing to add a bug or move a bug. Uh, it's a very simple game and a very easy one to learn. So it's, I think, a great place in between approachability and like a high level of, of depth. There's also three uh, expansions for it that I, I have all of them because I love this game. Uh, there's one that adds a mosquito. There's one that adds a ladybug and another that adds a pill bug. Now, each of these, mm. each of these bugs, I should say, had has something unique about them, like the ants, for example, can move anywhere. <clears throat> They're your fastest piece. Uh, the grasshoppers can jump all the way across. Uh, so adding new bugs just gives you more variety, and just by having more pieces kind of extends the game a little bit and makes uh, makes for some different tactical situations. I would not recommend playing with all the expansions. I would pick them maybe one at a time and find the right balance for yourself. Cool. All right, well, I hope that you, the listeners, have enjoyed this episode of a podcast about video games in which we talked about no video games. If you did, please let us know. Uh, But right now it's time. Let's talk about what's making us happy this week in a new segment that we're going to call What's Making Us Happy This Week. I'll go first. So a couple things making me happy uh, this week and last couple weeks. So one, I failed to mention it on the last podcast. But I was very excited. Uh, the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup. So that's a big deal in St. Louis. It's been 52 years. Uh, it's the first time. So there's a huge parade here. It was wild. It was awesome. So, uh, you know, really into that. 
And then the other thing that's making me happy this week is that uh, Lola, my daughter, turned two yesterday. So we had a whole, it's crazy. We had a whole multiple days in a row of fun events. um, And we had people over to our house for the first time since moving to this house. So there was a lot of things that kind of came together over the last few days of months and months of planning or just like working on the house. So I am, what's making me happy is that it is, uh, we had a really good time with Lola for her birthday and that we have completed that, that project of getting the house ready to have people over. So, um, yeah, that's been making me happy. That's that would make anybody happy. It really is wonderful to see those little kids hitting those milestones. Mine's about to hit this, the two years old in, uh, in August. Yeah. And, um, I can't wait. They're so cute. Yeah. You guys are very, very cute kids. Yeah. <laughs> Dad time. Welcome to the yeah. podcast. Call. This is a segment we like to call dad stuff. where <laughs> We talk about dad stuff. I've been thinking we should call this segment dad stuff. <laughs> Nope, because I'm not going to talk about that stuff. I'm going to talk about uh, being a non-homeowner with no children who is moving across the country. Um, I am going to recommend the website Road Trippers uh, because I am moving from Chicago to New York. I finally get to move in next week. And I've been itinerant for uh, several weeks now slowly driving across the country and stopping at friends' houses and for a stint in rural Pennsylvania where um, Reagan so beautifully edited out all the birds chirping last week. But um, Road Trippers has been a godsend for when you have a three and a half hour drive and you don't care if it's five, if you stop somewhere fun. Because what you do is you can put in the start and end and it gives you a map. And you say, at any point, I'm willing to drive up to five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles. And it gives you this ribbon on the side of your road that's, you know, what's in the room. And you, you kind of zoom in and you can choose different tourist destinations around the road. Um, and once you add that, it'll recalculate your route, move the map, and uh, be like, oh, now you're 10 miles away from this thing. Uh, and you can add up to four stops per route for free. So um, some of the stuff that we found um, – between uh, Chicago to Columbus to uh, Confluence, Pennsylvania to Baltimore included um, Palace of Gold, a Harry Krishna palace in the middle of Ohio um, with an albino peacock. Uh, we found a really beautiful old mill, um, a triple X family restaurant that served uh, beautiful, beautiful burgers and homemade root beer. Um, and we found a place called Dan's Rock where we just drove up a one-lane highway and we're pretty sure we were going to get hit by a car. At one point, there was a bridge that was one lane and we we're like, get stuck on this bridge up this mountain, we will die. That's the top and it was this beautiful graffiti lookout. Never would have known it existed. And That's awesome. we were not even sure it existed when we were driving to <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> but mostly free stuff. I mean, lots of weird things. Um, we did go see like Falling Water and Kentuck Knob and like some big Frank Lloyd Wright houses, Frank Lloyd Wright houses along the way, like the known tourist stuff. But we never would have known where to stop. I mean, also we went to like um, a couple Civil War battlefields. We went to Tippy Canoe, like just stuff that we're like, oh, it's literally a, it will be a thirty minute total detour, and we have to get dinner anyway. 
that kind of thing. So if you're ever in that situation, I highly recommend just, you know, if you're going to be in a car for three hours, you might as well make it four and see some cool stuff along the way. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's what a way to And there's no research. You have to do any research yourself. So what is this app called again? It's a website called Road Trippers. Road Trippers. That's awesome. That's really neat. What, yeah, what a way to make a trip individual, you know, and, and interesting. That's that you're going to remember that drive more than you ever would have without something like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And if anyone is ever in Hagerstown, Pennsylvania, there's like literally a five star restaurant in a strip mall called Rick's Cafe where we got something. We got like ahi tuna um, nachos with wontons. It was ridiculous. It cost like 50 bucks. It was like a three course meal. It was at a strip mall. I don't understand what happened. We were like, this would be costing us how much money if we were in Chicago right now. But um, so shout awesome. out to Hagerston PA strip mall and Rick's Cafe. I'll be Cafe. sure to tell uh, Julia about that because she's the best at this. When when we go traveling, she always is finding something, some cool place to stop. Like when we were up in uh, in uh, Minneapolis, we we she took us to a place called the House of Balls, which Ooh. is like a weird folk art installation and studio that was just super cool. Like they had all sorts of weird humanoid statues made out of every kind of mechanical junk imaginable. It was really neat. Yeah. Road trippers is why um, our friends who were not traveling were like, you guys probably were like, why is Laura sending me Snapchats of shivs? Um, be like, oh, of course I'm visiting a haunted penitentiary in West Virginia right well, now. Of course. That's what I assumed. Of course. Um, so if you want good anecdotes, House of Balls, I'm sure, is somewhere on that website. It, or if not, Julia can add it. It must be. Absolutely. Well, I guess what's making me happy this week is something that's made me happy many times in the past, uh, re-watching Deadwood. And I can't even really uh, give you the, the conclusion to this because I still, I just last night finished watching the third season of Deadwood, one of the greatest television programs of all time, uh, a TV show about the the settlement of uh, of you know, the Dakota territories and, and of Deadwood and all the people who live there, and I've watched this show probably three or four times all the way through, uh, and I'm rewatching it now because a show that never had a satisfactory conclusion has finally had a conclusion in the form of a movie, and I have as soon as I get the the freaking time. I'm going to sit down and watch that movie because it just took me so long to rewatch the whole show. But what really made me happy is every now and then um, I will lay a little happiness trap for myself and then and then forget. And it, what it is in this case is that I've watched this show most of the way through, probably about three times. But it turns out I had never watched the show all the way through. I had always as is sometimes my habit, left the last episode unwatched. Um, because if I know that a show doesn't have a full run and a satisfying conclusion, I would rather pick my own place to stop on that show. Mm. And that is what I have pretty much always done with Deadwood. So in this case, I just last night for the very first time watched the final episode of my very favorite television program. And now I get to watch the movie. So I let, I left that, uh, for 12 years, 
uh, just sitting there, a little happiness trap for myself. <laughs> and I sprung it last night. So that was, that's, that's what made me happy. That's beautiful. That is lovely. Dustin and I have just watched Unauthorized Cinnamon. We are in the third, up, third season for the first time. So we will be there with you soon. I have seen the first season of Deadwood, and I have been to Deadwood. So speaking of road trips, Molly, oh. Molly and I uh, uh, did a drive a while ago where we went all around South Dakota and uh, into Wyoming, and we went up to Deadwood, and it was awesome. It was a really, really cool little town. Um, so if you're ever out there, go there. It's really strange uh, and, and beautiful. It was raining and beautiful. So check it out. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of our podcast, The Short Game, uh, which is, again, definitely a video game podcast. Um, I'll leave you first with a call for reviews on iTunes. Uh, Our show asks very little of you, its beautiful listeners. But one thing that we humbly request is that you visit your podcast player of choice and tell us what you think of the show. I think we're a five-star podcast, but that's not for me to decide. Uh, It's up to you, uh, the beautiful listeners out there, to tell us what you think uh, through a means that will help promote our show on various algorithms. So uh, thanks for your contribution there. Um, In addition to that, I would like to... Uh, tell everyone we have the website for the show where you can tell us we love game recommendations so please tell us games that you think we should play Uh, you can contact the show on twitter at underscore short game or you can find our website uh, www.theshortgame.net where we have a contact form we love receiving uh, communication through that as well Um, I am Shane Kelly and you can find me on the internet at 8bitshane uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on the internet at Laura J. Nash, more specifically on Twitter. And Nate, do you have an online footprint or are you off the grid now? <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. All right. And uh, thanks for tuning in. That was a very sexy ending. Wow, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks for the tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping. I'm going to go get my cigar and put on my lounge suit.